0: So apparently they were bought out by Google Play Music. Songza is going to be no more as of January the 31st. Sorry, guys. Hey, anytime you get bought by Google, it's a
1: good day. (laughs) (laughs) Is it though? I'm waiting to be bought by Google.
0: Welcome to Tectonic, episode number 43. This is a weekly talk show revolving around the seismic shifts in technology, culture, and the digital age. I am your host, Joe Darnell, and with me is the music man, right? Mr. Joshua Pfeiffer.
1: Oh, so when you're going to introduce the, the real music man, our uh, guest.
0: <laughs> well, I wanted you to break out in a song to introduce our guest. Yeah,
1: I'm not, I'm not, I have not <laughs> had that much to drink yet. No, I'm not, I'm not not doing that.
0: Okay. Well, the other guy with us tonight is Mr. Brian M. Brush. Welcome back, Brian. Thank you. I'm happy to be back. It's so great to have you. You know, as I, as uh, we discuss this topic, I'm holding in my hand my Apple music player and I'm thinking, I want to talk about Apple music tonight. What about you guys? Sounds good. Sounds good to me. And it'll be nice,
2: uh, I think, a few months back now at this point. We once said that we would follow up on Apple Music
0: based upon when I was last on. So Yeah, dun-dun-dun. Part two. It's time for that. Yeah, so what we're looking at here is the music app on all of our devices. Whether you're using Spotify, Rhapsody, Pandora, knock yourself out. We're going to talk about them and what we think about them. Let's see here. Uh, Several years under our belt now with streaming, we still have many years to deal with, I think, iTunes in front of us, unless we just up and abandon our original CD imported music libraries. And there's this lingering feeling like we're still stuck in the ruts of the transition into digital music. But people like Brian are really advanced into their music libraries. At this point, (laughs) I'm somewhere in the middle. I I still appreciate physical hard copy music, but I, I have something of a music library on my computers. And then Joshua, who doesn't consider himself too much of an avid musicophile, audiophile, he's still got a lot of digital music as well. So it was high time that we actually seriously look at Apple Music and, well, not just Apple Music, but like the whole field of what is going on with music culture today and how people digest their music. I'm around my sister all the time now, and you know she's always introducing me to something. I'm sharing something with her. I'm so proud of myself when I can find something really awesome to share with my sister. I think she her tastes are a lot more trendy than mine, but I'm rubbing off on her, which is a good thing. <laughs> now, how about you, Brian? What are, What are you doing for music these days? Um, So I've got a bit of an obsession with music. And if
2: I'm not listening to a podcast, then it's almost guaranteed I'm going to be listening to music. Um, So with that obsession also comes a big passion for discovering and sharing new music um, with my friends as well. So it's also a very communal thing to me. So I'm constantly trying to go see live shows. um, They're Frequent music festivals that I attend throughout the year with some of my best friends, and it's just become this huge, pervasive part of my life.
0: So, streaming services have definitely changed how that all fits
2: into my day to day.
0: Now, do you uh, do you follow any of the groups socially online? Are you keeping tabs on musical artists? Uh, So I do, and I do that predominantly through
2: Twitter. And then a lot of my favorite bands, I will subscribe to mailing lists or whatever it may be. But since I'm so into music, I just sort of proactively go out to whether it be sites on music or actively go to the band's pages and just check and see who's on tour. Um, And one of my favorite apps is something called Bands in Town, which scans my music library and then notifies me anytime somebody in my collection is going to be
0: touring soon. Now you live up there in Ohio, right? So I I don't know what kind of music scene you have there because i here where I am. We obviously have enough to keep us busy most of the year, but I'm not really interested in live performances because I do like music. Don't, don't get this wrong guys. I like a wide range of music, but I don't appreciate loud music and I don't appreciate sometimes the sound quality of live performances. Mm -hmm. One thing that comes to my mind is a few years ago, I saw a wonderful Concert suite of music from the Lord of the Rings movies and it was conducted by What's his name? Um, Howard Shore who Mm -hmm. originally composed the music, but it was done with the Atlantic Symphony Orchestra Or is it the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra? I think the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra and even though they did a remarkable job with all the pieces it sounded very close to the original score There was the vocal parts, which are throughout the soundtracks. So you hear vocal parts, whether it be for the bad guys or the good guys, for elves and for men, as they portray things throughout Middle Earth in Peter Jackson's films. And even though they were incredible performances, I just didn't appreciate that they sounded different from the quality of the movies. They they were different voices. They had different... Tonality—that was a jarring experience for me, hmm. and and I didn't really like that experience in concert uh, when when the performers just don't sound like themselves on their CDs, or it, it, there, maybe they're different voices entirely. Does See that's it, a, yeah.
2: That's an interesting thing for me because that's actually one of the things that I do enjoy. Um, nice. Whether huh. it be with classical music, I'm always intrigued by different characterizations. Yeah. Yeah, and how is this director going to handle this, or how is this soloist going to take on this part? But then with various like shows that maybe one of the recent ones I saw was Silver Sun Pickups performing. Based upon their progression and growth over the years, hearing how they've made subtle changes to their songs or how they've tightened up certain aspects of it, I can see growth and progress, or I can see them saying like, man, I wish four years ago when we recorded this, we had thought to do this song in this way or handle this approach. So that is really interesting to me when I'm seeing live music.
0: Hmm. Cool. So you're very down with the live music. And then how do you get your digital stuff?
2: Uh, So that has its own very long journey. Uh, Today, it's predominantly through Apple Music is where I'm listening, but um, I'm also using all sorts of other services. I'm still one of the few remaining members of last.fm, which is a sort of music sharing and recording and cataloging site. Um, And then I also love various apps. Like there's one called discover, which is on both iOS and Android, I believe. And you just plug in a band that you're into and then it branches out and shows you a bunch of related bands. And then you can go on this crazy long journey of linking through
0: different bands and seeing how they all connect. I just like that last.fm came up on this podcast before Spotify. That's <laughs> making me so proud. Yep. I remember I used them back in the day. I think it was the first few that I recall were last.fm and what was it called Groove Shark. Yep. Yep. Remember Groove Shark? I think they were shut down now.
2: Yeah, I believe they got sued and lost that case pretty horrifically.
0: Yeah, see, I... I liked the idea, but I just felt a little bit awkward every time I went to their website. Like I thought to myself, this shouldn't, this shouldn't be working. This shouldn't, (laughs) this shouldn't be possible (laughs) because you were just basically getting all the music for free Mm -hmm. in all the different versions. And you were scraping from lots of different people's libraries. Yep. It it was very flexible. I mean, in terms of a tool, it was ahead of the curve. It was advanced for its time. Pesky laws getting in the way. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. There was, I mean, a variety of other
2: streaming services. And one of the ones that I think all of us have probably played around with at some point was Pandora. And so I still remember when that first came out and what a huge discovery that was for me, especially with the fact that it was cataloging like, hey, it seems like you like songs in this specific time signature or with this type of instrumentation. And that just blew my mind whenever Pandora was first released into the world. And
0: now I don't think I've opened up Pandora in probably three or four years. Wow. I didn't realize it got to that granularity. huh? And Uh, do you think there was no real causation for abandoning Pandora? You just were lured to other music solutions?
2: Yeah, it was a combination of there were other solutions came coming out that fit my needs a little bit better. But then Pandora also started its transition to what it is today, where it, for me, started to get more and more repetitive. Or if I plugged in, hey, I want to listen to this band or this song, that band or that song never showed up on the station. And so eventually it was like, all right, I'm not getting exactly what I want out of this. So I'm going to
0: segue away from it. Hmm. I like to think of Pandora as it went the way of Angry Birds. It was a huge <laughs> hit. It just it worked so well for so many people, but then there was so much of a repetition, so much of a repetitive experience. Mm-hmm. You always wanted a little bit more, and you c- it didn't have enough flexibility to let you interact with the music the old-fashioned way, not with a you know a manual approach. Yep. So uh, so much of it was l- really brilliant algorithmically and i do think that to this day if if there's someone who needs to develop their musical tastes then pandora makes a fantastic tool so mm-hmm.
1: my wife still prefers it over apple music interesting yeah
0: i remember a few years ago i was in target and i saw that you could buy annual memberships on cards for pandora so that's that's a thing They're they're still alive <laughs> and well
2: yep They seem to have held out all right with the streaming service change. And I don't know if that's because people are still getting used to the idea of streaming services. And Pandora seems like a nice hybrid between radio and streaming. And so maybe that's where people are comfortable with it. Um, But I'm intrigued to see maybe 10 years from now how Pandora is holding up compared to all
0: of the competition that they have today. Yeah, I think that they have fantastic brand recognition because they established themselves in the backs of radio. Mm -hmm. So they allured a lot of the people who wanted something that was comparable to satellite radio that was a little bit more state-of-the-art. If you ask me, as far as I'm concerned, satellite radio is just not up to the times. So Mm
2: -mm. It's still... Satellite radio in many ways still feels like what most radio stations are. It's just playing the same 40 songs over and over again. And after a while, I lose my mind if there's not any sort of deviation.
0: <laughs> yeah, agreed. The top 40, it's its the curse of this self-imposed limitation because this particular station is going to be true to the the values of the first 40 tracks that were ever played on the station. And <laughs> what I did some doing is basically bottlenecking itself. Like its it's really really frustrating it doesn't matter what your musical tastes are my wife she still listens to a lot of satellite radio and she gets annoyed so she's flipping the stations listening out for something you know she wants to find something new and different from the 70s you know station but she's not going to find it so she doesn't really like to talk about her music I, i don't know what she's even using anymore i think she just buys albums outright on itunes when she wants them
2: I mean, there's still a lot of people who are into that feeling of ownership. It took me a while to get over that and just accept that I will pay for music as a service. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm kind of still there. I'm the old guy here. I'm I I've never never bought onto the streaming thing, and I guess I just don't use it enough to to warrant the the cost over time of of uh, the service aspect. But you know, I can I can definitely see. I guess coming uh, at you know, as a little older of a of a man. As the kids are getting older, I've got a seven, eight, no, seven, nine, and ten-year-old, and just this last month or two, they've they've all gotten their own iOS devices: two iPad Minis and an iPod Touch. And as soon as the the seven-year-old got the iPod Touch, the earbuds went into her ears, and I have not seen her without the earbuds in her ears. <laughs> and and awesome. she's just you know going you know going to town on music. And I'm thinking, w- you know, I canceled my Apple Music membership like what are you listening to because i I hadn't even finished signing up you know uh the sharing and all of that and uh it turns out she's just an itunes store listening to all the previews Um, of everything wow (laughs) and she's totally content with this 30 seconds at a time yeah i know i think it's 45 seconds now Uh. Uh, and she's totally content so i'm just like okay i'm just gonna let that let that go for now (laughs) because it's free so yeah she's just uh jamming away at her free previews
0: Yeah. You know, I got a lot of experience with my parents through music. Uh, In hindsight, it was one of the best ways I got to know my dad. He wanted to play music for the sake of the family. He was passing down some of his music tastes, you know, like any good parent would. And so he would have his stereos set up with a variety of his own mixed tapes. And he was playing those in the family room. And I'd hear those most days. it it didn't work both ways. I mean, I don't understand why children can't share with their parents, their music tastes. I mean, dad, come on. Can I pop something into the stereo? No, 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 it's it's mine. (laughs) Go away. (laughs) You want to play something that is in my library stash? Go ahead, Joe. Go ahead. Um, that never, yeah, it never worked both ways, but I I do appreciate what he was able to pass on to me. He passed on to me his love of movie soundtracks. If it wasn't for him, I don't think that I would have picked up on them. So, Brian, you were mentioning earlier that you're actually interested in a wide variety of movies, or sorry, music genres. Yes. How did that come to be?
2: I'm not entirely sure. I think I'm just one of those people that's so obsessed with music. music, Yeah, that I'll just listen to and try anything. Um, Like, if I look at a lot of the music that I enjoy now compared to what, in your case, like a father would approve of, my dad would not be cool with the music that I'm playing. but I just have always sort of loved testing out new genres and sort of pushing that comfort level. One of my favorite things to listen to is experimental folk music and just see what people can do with limited instrumentation and just see them go crazy. Um, so I've always just been into listening to different genres and iTunes, when that first came out, made that so much easier for me to start cataloging and saying like, all right, what genre am I missing from my collection and
0: how can I branch out and test new things? I really like anything that sounds, yeah, techie. You know, eight-bit. I really like eight-bit. I like anything that sounds a video game-like. Just the the digital sounds. I think that there was a, a, some of my favorite soundtracks in recent years. I, I can put on autoplay. Would be the Tron Legacy soundtrack because it's it's a, mm-hmm. a, such good background music when you're working, but it also sounds futuristic and has that uh, tech quality while also being orchestral. And so I like those alternative genres those things that sound like mashups you were mentioning there's an alternative to folk and that just makes perfect sense to me everything needs an alternative where they can be (laughs) more experimental and i am drawn more to the alternatives myself because i i actually get a little annoyed when i hear a crisp clean musical instrument because my mind's eye is so well developed that all of a sudden i see the orchestra i see the guitar And I don't actually want that mental image of the musical instrument. I want to have like this emotional connection with the music, not a mental picture of the musician strumming this tool. I I want to experience the music, not the performance that isn't even real. I'm only seeing this in my imagination. So when the music is really excelling for me, it's usually because it's alternative where they've done something to make their instruments more unusual to me and i can't exactly picture the instrument in my mind's eye i like it that way that is one of the reasons i think i've started to like experimental
2: stuff more and more is as somebody who grew up playing music I am constantly like, all right, so how are they doing this part and how is that instrument coming to the forefront now? And so I'm over like analyzing the music quite often. And every now and then, if you listen to something that's just new and you can't piece together what's going on, you actually get to experience the song as a whole again, instead of in individual pieces.
0: Now, Joshua, where were you getting your musical tastes from? Uh, What kind of genres did you care for?
1: Uh, You know, this is kind of a canned answer too, but I really am all over the map. I've got Classical in there, jazz, pop, rock. I mean, alternative. A lot of stuff from the '90s when I grew up and teenager soundtrack stuff. Really, all off the map. If if you really nailed me down right now, I I kind of like singer songwriter stuff.
0: They're nice to listen to, whether it's in the background or the foreground. Yeah, it's kind of where I'm at. Well, I didn't actually get onto the music bandwagon f- in terms of developing my own music library until after 2003. Because we had, we'd experimented with cassette tapes when I was a kid, but they were usually just mixes of music that we heard from my dad's music collection. And we made our own tapes that we'd play in cassette decks in our own bedrooms. Besides that, I wasn't buying CD albums for myself. I still remember the first few albums that I purchased from physical retail stores like Best Buy and the like, because they, they were just so few and far between. And then when friends in high school were introducing me to albums and artists that they took for granted that everybody knew these artists, all everybody knew these genres and, and what have you. I, I didn't know anything about them. And so I started learning a lot from my friends and that was really cool. So they introduced me to a lot more genres. And like you guys, I, I, I prefer tracks. I'm on a, a re, my relationship with music is on a track by track basis. If I like the track, I want it in my library. I'm not too crazy about genres specifically. It has to be about that particular song that I feel like playing because it's compelling. And for that reason, I think that sometimes it's been difficult in more recent years with streaming services because a lot of the streaming services are really well developed in delivering you X genre. And they're catering to an audience where, yeah, they sure they want to give you classical music, too. But wouldn't you like to listen to more pop rock music, like the stuff that came out last week? I mean, it's amazing. it's like, no, I'd rather go back and explore some other things. Can you show me some classics, you know, classic rock even? And it seems like their product is just not wanting to serve that up to you.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I I actually did enjoy about Apple Music when I used it for, you know, the three-month free trial is, yeah, I might have discovered a few more artists, and I was trying to use it appropriately and 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 do the whole discovery thing. But what I ended up finding is I just, you know, reminded myself of of uh, things I listened to 20 years ago, and so I ended up ma- mainly focusing on downloading a bunch of stuff I I listened to when I was a teenager and experiencing that no- nostalgia. I guess so. That's kind of how I used it.
2: It is sort of interesting how a lot of it is trying to shove sort of what's new um, but then some of the streaming services do a good job or if you indicate enough you sort of have to prompt it based upon input um, and it eventually goes like oh you maybe want to hear some stuff from the past so let me start showing you some old classic records and that's refreshing to see the ser- streaming services are starting to get better at that um, but it's still not quite there where a lot of it does
0: just seem like here listen to the brand new music that came out last week and that's all you get there's actually a whole section dedicated to that in the music app i bet you there are in uh, spotify and the others like it but, you know if you just look at the bottom menu in the apple music app you got for you which is often a remix of classic albums and newer things genre based or artist based it's, it's pretty nice then there's the whole area dedicated to just new here, here's what's new. And you can scrub through that and there's gobs of albums and what have you. And it's constantly refreshed. They, they got new stuff in here on a regular basis. So I wanted to talk a little bit about iTunes. When was the last time either of you guys were using iTunes to interact with listening to music? Unfortunately, uh,
1: last weekend. Yeah, I was in my office <laughs> doing doing a lot of work and I just decided, well, I got iTunes right here on my computer. Try, I actually was trying to import some older CDs Uh, to my old laptop, and uh, it it was rough. It was rough. I mean, it's like I I know what's in my library, and I somehow can't find what I want to (laughs) listen (laughs) to. I've got all these options to search, but I I was struggling. Mm, It's it's really bloated at this point. I, I rarely use it.
2: Yeah, it's sad for me because there was a time like many, many years ago, it feels now at this point where iTunes was one of my favorite and most used applications. And I loved like the whole process of cataloging music and making playlists and burning CDs. But now in the streaming age, that process seems so old and asinine that now it feels sort of ridiculous to say that I ever enjoyed doing that. And anytime I open up iTunes, it still has all of those features there, as well as 12 million other things. And it's just
0: it is painful to use or even look at. Speaking of the pain, I just uh, did a Google search for something pertaining to iTunes on one of my favorite blogs. I typed in, because I thought that the historian, the guy in our circles who knows all things about old Apple stuff, mm-hmm. uh, Stephen Hackett, would pull through for me and have a great piece about uh, iTunes over the years. So I typed in 512 pixels, iTunes. And the very top result is how to reset iTunes match. Which is, yeah, that's a a good example of what we're talking about here. It's a lot of good, bad, and ugly. My thing is, is that I still appreciate iTunes for what it was. It's sort of like this old (sighs) geezer who just, you know, in his formative years, he was actually really impressive. He was a good ball player. You know, he he showed a lot of promise as the rookie of the year. And then his batting average just got horrible as he tried to be too many things and and impress too many people in too many ways. And it being showy, he tried to do too many things and he took up football and baseball and basketball and it just got out of hand. And and then he got an injury and you're thinking, why didn't they retire this guy already? Uh, That's how it feels for iTunes, where it used to be that it was all about the simplicity and efficiency of this tool to present to you a wonderful experience with just music. The branding was exceptionally well established. There's been some recent coverage about this on, I think it was iMore and other bloggers where they were talking about what iTunes used to be like. It was a positive experience. This is one of the reasons why Apple became popular right around the year 2003, you know, four and five. It wasn't just the iPod. The iPod wouldn't have been any good if you didn't have a fantastic way to interact with the music. It wasn't all about the hardware. It was the marriage of great software and hardware. So iTunes had a lot to do with that. It was all about music. It was so cohesive. It was straightforward. And I think a lot of people loved it. It really helped them get into music. Apple iterated on this thing where the music service just got better and better. And when they opened up the iTunes store, ah, think about it, guys. Like everybody's saying like, well, you know, the problem with the music industry is they gave Apple too much control. Well, I actually think that there's another side of the coin here. The other problem with the original music industry was it was too difficult to find, discover, and appreciate the music. So you'd have to go to the physical store where you may or may not actually have a positive shopping experience, buy music blind that you haven't heard yet, take it home, give it a listen, meh, not your favorite thing. Take it back to the media store, ah, this package has been opened, we don't want to take it back and we are not going to refund your money. Whereas... From day from pretty much the beginning with iTunes, you could hear a preview, right? Mm-hmm. I believe so. And that was one of the big deals with
2: it. and it it's also always amazed me that we often think of like the iPod as the big turning point for Apple, but iTunes came out uh, almost ten months before the iPods were released. So it's been there for quite some time, and the fact that it did have that huge shift in terms of the way people handled
0: shopping for music is incredible. It was definitely making a huge influence with or without the iPods. I know a lot of people who would just get their music off of their Mac or they would play their music in their home off of the stereo attached to their Macs. It made a positive influence. I I think where it, it wasn't necessarily wrong of Apple Over the years to include movies and the app store and synchronization with iOS devices and television shows. The problem was it just got bloated over the years to have all these various unrelated features. And then as the navigation with the the interface through all the content got more cumbersome and bugs were introduced and it seemed like things got hairy where people's albums would be, you know, just vanish or I think it all, I think where it became really noticeable was when iTunes match became a thing a few years ago. Now y'all had very positive experiences though with iTunes match, right? I did. And it was something that I was ecstatic
2: when it came out before that I was actually using a service that I don't know if you guys have heard of called audio galaxy and audio galaxy was like this homebrew version of iTunes match where you set up a little application on your computer and then downloaded an app to your phone, and then your phone would be able to talk to your computer over even your cellular network, um, and to be able to see all of your music library. And it didn't always work, and eventually Dropbox acquired it and did what Dropbox does, which is never did anything with the (laughs) company that they bought. Um, And so when I just waited desperately for a service like iTunes Match to come out, and when it did, it was incredible for me, and it made it so much easier knowing that I don't have to sit there and plan. Okay, what fifty songs do I want to put on my phone for today?
1: Right, right. You know, when it when it came out, uh, you know, the the space on the phones were still such an issue that it was just hard to get a decent amount of stuff on the, on the phone. So, so that that was kind of cool to to have it, you know, be able to to stream. But the biggest thing for me was just that one less thing to worry about getting properly backed up. You know, it was sort of before. Uh, cloud-based stuff was, you know, backup solutions were were really easy. And so I was just constantly, you know, breaking out the hard drives and backing up libraries and things like that. So for me, iTunes Match was a a huge help to just, you know, just knock that one thing off my list of things to worry about backing up. I ripped all my CDs and yeah, so I've got pretty much no CDs left.
0: I didn't realize that iTunes Match is still around. Now with Apple Music around, it just seemed like there was a lot of uh, feature redundancy here. Can you explain this to me, Brian?
2: Yeah, there's actually, I'll have to see if I can find it. There's a nice page on Apple's website that tries to help break down what the difference is between the two. So iTunes Match is going to look at like the music library that you already own, regardless of a streaming service, it's just in your iTunes library. And then it will match those songs with what the iTunes catalog has. So at any point on your phone, you can start streaming those songs without having to have them downloaded at the beginning of the day. Hmm. Um, Whereas Apple music is giving you the ability to access all of the iTunes catalog and stream all of those songs at any point,
0: regardless of whether you had them in your library or not. But didn't iTunes match already, or didn't iTunes already have something like this feature before 2011? This product came out in 2011. I thought that there was already something where you could get your music in the cloud before it. There wasn't, as at least not that I know. So
2: iTunes match was a big deal in the fact that you were able to upload music that you may not have even acquired through the iTunes store. So it may have been CDs that you had. You loaded those into your computer. Mm -hmm. Well, previously, the only way you could stream music that wasn't on your phone was if it was something you had bought in the iTunes store. You could start replaying that, essentially, because it was stored in your music library. But if it was something that was from a personal collection, like a CD, or if you did what my father did for a long time and converted vinyl over to CD and then put that into your computer there was no way to to have that sort of in a cloud-based service before
0: itunes match i need to talk to your dad because i have some vinyl and i need to make that happen (laughs) (laughs) you'd be happy
2: to help it's um i'll have to see i actually have the same um, record player that he has which just has a little usb connection to plug into your computer and then you can just use a service like logic or any other application to record that as it plays
0: my dad has a cassette deck that does this. I helped him set it up so that he could get his recordings into the computer with the cassette deck. I haven't seen anything that does this this uh, wizardry with a record player, but that that's awesome. And how about you, uh, Joshua? You're using iTunes Match to date?
1: Yeah, yeah, I've I've got no issues with it and, and hope they continue it and uh, hope they don't cancel it with uh, the whole Apple Music thing because it's a perfect solution for me. But yeah, I also... Uh, Speaking of the, the ripping of the, the records, I recently converted a bunch of old VHS tapes to uh, to MP4s and uploaded them to the uh, to the web for, for safekeeping. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of a similar project <laughs> over the holidays.
0: Well, then I want to come back to that. I'll, I'll return to that because we actually had a listener question that pertained to that issue. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, back to iTunes Match then. Do either of you experience this where you have music you know the version of the music you originally had imported into your computer and the copy that itunes match gives you isn't exactly the same version um so sometimes no it sometimes (laughs) gets
2: confused and finds the wrong thing that was a big problem when it first came out but it seems to be mostly resolved now um and a lot of that issue came from if you had like A deluxe collector's edition album, it might not match the songs up in the same way. So that got to be a little bit of a problem initially, but I don't see that anymore as an issue ever since I got Apple Music. That's a different ballgame where it does still
0: get confused from time to time. You know, it economically still makes a lot of sense. You're not making a bad decision to forego music streaming and use iTunes Match and still buy music. If you add the numbers together, like if, if you're okay with the music library, you've well established with importing your CDs and your records and cassettes, and then you just wanted something like iTunes match, you pay $25 a year for it. Then you'll have a lot of money left over to actually buy new albums. Let's say you buy on average, a new album a month and the average album costs between $10 and what? $14. Let's say if you buy a digital copy from the iTunes store, wouldn't you say guys? Uh, Yeah, that sounds about right. And
2: as an album gets older, it also tends to go down in price within the iTunes store. So eventually you'll see records that are only like eight or so dollars. And so if you're somebody who just occasionally adds something and it may be older music that you're into, it may be drastically cheaper to go that way.
0: Yeah. So you can afford to buy nine new albums a year and have iTunes match for the same price as you would pay for having Apple Music and not using iTunes Match. Mm -hmm. And that way you'd actually have albums for perpetuity that belong to you. Whereas with Apple Music, they're not yours. You have to continue to pay to have access to that music. So it's an interesting consideration. I can see where you could take advantage of this, Joshua, if you wanted to help your daughter along with her music tastes.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and honestly, I can see in a few years it being worth doing the Apple music thing, just, you know, to get the kids through the teenage years.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, well, now I want to contrast this a little bit with music streaming. In Spotify's case, they came out around 2006. And I don't think that anyone really remembers them being around in 2006. But they've been around, like Pandora and so many others like them. Let's see, we had RDO, we had Last.fm, and so many other great music streaming services. I actually found on Wikipedia a great post about all the different streaming music services. The article's called Comparison of On-Demand Streaming Music Services. And there's easily... I'd say about 40 to 50 different streaming music services that they they're making accounted for here. But then there's maybe another, I'd say two dozen that are discontinued services. We've got Xbox music, iTunes radio, beats music, blink box music, groove shark, Rara, uh, last.fm, music unlimited, wimp (laughs) Songza. It's a really interesting article where they break down all the features that the various services have included over time but there's a bunch of services here I've never heard of. We've got Akazu, uh 8 tracks, which is a streaming service. But <laughs> Butanga Batang- Radio and Beatport and Deezer, Earbits. <laughs> Earbits? Yeah, they're still in business. Um so <laughs> this it is interesting. So how do you feel towards the services that, that just offer streaming music service? Like If you didn't have anything to do with iTunes today, and your only choice was streaming music service, what would you use?
2: That's a good question. And I guess it's sort of tricky because Apple music, I so closely associate with iTunes. So I probably wouldn't even consider that in the running for this, then answer to this. Um, But Spotify is the one that I'd used the most uh, in the past before I began this whole Apple music transition. Um, so that's probably the one that I would look at And it. If I was brand new though, and I pulled up that article and I saw 50 different options, I would probably just say, forget it and close it and go back to buying music.
0: I wouldn't mind having a, a free membership for something, but then I would be annoyed by all of the ads. And Mm -hmm. eventually I would just turn back to, the physical copies of things you know i still have a cd player in my car i mean we can make this work <laughs> and now how, how do you how do you feel joshua
1: uh you know i don't know I, i'd have to you know what i probably do in situations like this is kind of just do my engineering research and find the you know whatever what all of the the proper nerds think of the, is the best of breed and and probably just go with that
0: mm, so amazon prime music is the answer <laughs>
1: <laughs> actually, I was hoping, I was thinking Xbox music. I didn't even know that was a thing, but yeah. Oh, it sounds... but they're
0: discontinued. Ah, Too late. Man. Uh, succeeded by something called Groove. Let's see here. Groove opened in October 16th, 2012. So Xbox music actually has been dead a while now. Mm, maybe Hotmail music. Is that a thing? <laughs> okay, but get this. Uh, okay, so Groove music was previously xbox music which was previously zune music uh, so that's that's yeah that's not a good sign <laughs> oh, poor poor microsoft
2: they probably rebranded it twice so that they could get as far away from the zune as they possibly
0: could it is microsoft's equivalent to icloud which used to be mobile me which used to be itools <laughs> and on it goes Well, I would say that if I had to pick from the music streaming services, I would probably wind up with Pandora after I got frustrated with Spotify because I do like how I could discover music on Pandora and then I would go buy the stuff that I want. But I really like this. um, There was this one alternative that isn't around anymore again, which was Songza. Songza was really great because what it would try to do is give you music based on the moment and it would try to predict like well, what time of day is it and where do you live in the world? Uh, What do we speculate is going to be your music tastes? And then it would also ask you a few questions to kind of get a feel for, you know, like what's your age and how how familiar are you with music? And would you rather have something upbeat or more serious and so forth? And then it would present to you a great list of optional uh, playlists based on the music it thinks that you would like to experience for the moment. So if you're tuning into Songza on a Monday morning at 930, it'd actually give you some playlist suggestions that would be aware that A, you're probably at work at your desk, or maybe you're at the gym, or maybe you're stuck in traffic, or maybe you just have a case of the Mondays and you don't want to be thinking about Monday anymore and you want to listen to some music. And so the playlist would be structured around how would you like to have an escape with music Right now, knowing that it is Monday morning and uh, that would be different than the music that they would present to you around 5 p.m. And so I, I really liked what you could do with Songsa, But then I just checked on them a couple of days ago and it says, I got this pop up message when I visited Songza.com. It says they asked, we said yes. Apparently they were very excited about this. Songza plus Google Play Music forever. So apparently, they were bought out by Google Play Music. Songsa is going to be no more as of January the thirty first. Sorry, guys. Hey, anytime you get bought
1: by Google, it's a good day. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to be bought by Google.
0: <laughs> is it though? I don't know. I, I don't know if I would like to be bought by Google.
2: I don't want to see you sunset at Joshua.
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was that email client that we all used to like? There was the other one that had the paper airplane for the icon and they got bought out. I miss them.
2: Oh, (laughs) I don't even remember what
0: their names (laughs) are. They they sunsetted them so well that they've been wiped from our memory. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of other sunsetted services, there was RDO. RDO is dead. Long live RDO. I really loved them. If uh, iTunes had nothing to do with my music library today, I would still be rocking RDO. I was swayed a little bit by Apple Music when it came out because I wanted to see if it was all that much better than RDO. And by the time I realized that I didn't want to stay with Apple Music, I was returning to RDO, They then announced RDO is pulling the plug. We're out of business. We can't afford this anymore. So long, guys. We sold our assets to Spotify. So they're gone from the picture, and that makes me very sad. And RDO was one of these competitors that felt like, they had a nice, clean solution. They just had, it just had a beautiful user interface. I liked the experience with RDO over that of Spotify, which felt like they were, in, in general, it felt like Spotify was trying to be too hard to be cool and pushy in all the wrong ways. Like, hey, check out this ad. Oh, you selected the right music. Oh, that's cool, groovy music, man. Hey, check out this ad. You know, <laughs> it, it felt like they were always pouncing on you at every turn in Spotify. And I didn't feel like my senses were violated with RDO, so
1: it looks like they were were bought by Pandora, so that Pandora oh, really? must still have some money.
0: Yeah. Okay, good. I was afraid it was Spotify.
2: Yeah, it was it was Pandora that sort of collected the assets, which I'm intrigued as to what exactly that means. I wish I could see the what the actual deal looked like. <laughs> um but RDO is one of those services that I had a little bit of experience with but not that much um, and its design was incredible I think it was just a bunch of designers who said like there's not a good music app out there let's try this it was just for me their catalog and music quality and sometimes the consistency of the quality was uh, uh, lacking whenever I used it and then the social aspect of music is huge for me so RDO, very few of my friends used it so sharing through audio was never something that I really got
0: to experience Well then in the last few minutes that we have, let's talk about how we're using music now. We've covered where we came from and our impressions of streaming services. Uh, Joshua, how do you actually get to your music now? Mainly I I access it through the music app
1: on the phone. I I turned off all of the Apple music features, so now it just has the three little tabs at the bottom, which is a little easier to use than the five tabs at the bottom. I I was a little, I, I just thought it was too much with the connect and for you and all that. So I got my music playlists and radio i Mm -hmm. you know i've kind of just i went ahead and just deleted all the playlists so i need to just start over from scratch with that but basically worked through my playlist my music rather i wish i could turn off the recently added it just takes up so much screen space i I don't know why that's on a drop down like you know Mm -hmm. albums and artists and all of that but Mm. if if that was solved i think the my music App is not too bad, so yeah, that's kind of how I use it, and it's still a little bit cumbersome so i I, I mainly use Siri if, if something pops in my head to listen to, I'll just tell my phone to play it for me,
0: yeah, part of me wants to say if it's not broke, don't fix it, apple, and that's the way I felt about the music app before they introduced Apple music as a service, but i because they did it it makes total sense why they made such an upheaval of this app. They had to introduce the streaming service I, I feel like the remnants of what made the music app great are still making it great. What they introduced with Apple music was so jarring that it was, it was too much of a change too quickly. It wasn't a good amalgamation. Those tabs at the bottom, the navigation, it was so cumbersome and Brian, what was your frustration or pain points with this?
2: Uh, so in terms of Apple music, the user interface is still my biggest gripe. And Joshua is spot on that using Siri has become like a lifesaver for me, especially the fact that I can just pull up my Apple watch and say, ahoy telephone, and then be able to just specify whatever I want. And it starts playing and it means that I don't ever have to use that user interface. That is a great feature, but it is just an entire mess whenever you pull up yeah, Apple Music. Um, it's the biggest nightmare to me. Navigating to what I want is a constant pain. It makes me miss the simplicity of the quick click wheel on the iPod. Like just quickly scroll to what I want and be done. But instead, I'm tapping all over the screen, and it's just crazy. Do you ever use the
0: option to tell Siri play more music like this? I like that a lot.
2: Yeah, um, the there are so many cool things that Siri can do within the whole aspect of music now that it's incredible being able to specify that you want to hear the top song from a specific day 30 years ago. And the fact that it's able to do that is incredible to me. So I love and adore that feature and I'm constantly discovering new stuff like the play more music thing like this. I didn't even realize that was a feature. So I'm going to have to try that out next time.
1: It is. Do, Do any of those basic features work if you're not an Apple music
0: subscriber? I do believe that they would, things like if you said play, pause, skip, or. Sure,
1: sure, sure. I'm just thinking play more like this. I wonder if they would, if it would use the old genius feature, whatever they call it.
0: Yeah. What I think it would do is it it would just pull from your own music play, uh, library. It would just say, like, if you were playing Nora Jones and then you said play more like this, it would assume a safe bet would be to continue to play more Nora Jones music and then anything else close to that. But then again, it'd have to be in your library. I'm going to test it out. And Brian, how about you? Uh, How do you actually interact with your music today then?
2: So there are very few moments in my life where music isn't a part of it. So being in a creative field, I'm often sort of head down working on something trying to avoid distractions so that I can produce whatever materials I'm working on at the time. And so during that I'm constantly listening to music to help me focus and keep me energized. But then there's also more when I'm at home, this active experience to my music. So I'll still put on records by which I mean like actual vinyl records and just sit and listen to an album. It's an experience for me. And along with that is going to see live music. Like I had mentioned earlier, But there's also the communal aspect of music in terms of both seeing it live, but also sharing new music or music that is really important to you at that moment with friends. Um, That's actually one of the things that's missing in Apple Music is there is no social aspect for user to user. It's just artist to user. And so that's one of the big things that
0: I would like to see improved. I can still appreciate the notion of sitting down to just enjoy some music like you do. I don't do that. The closest thing I do is I have a record player and we'll play some music usually during supper. So uh, when I'm cooking and when we're eating, I'll have something on the record player. That That is great. But yeah, just to sit down and enjoy soaking the music. I don't get to do that. I, I might do it if I was also reading a book at the same time. I do a lot of reading in the morning before I start the day. So I like to sit by the fire and listen to something in my headphones because everybody else is still asleep. Well, I do use Apple Music in spite of all of its flaws, which are countless. I have been affected by almost every bug. I have had changes of tracks in my playlists. So music originally imported a certain way. I set up a playlist like 15 years ago. I love these playlists and I listen to them every passing week. And then I switched to Apple music and they screw with my playlists and they change the versions that I have. And I just don't know what to do. It's you're like, really? But, uh, Oh, Joshua, you have an update for us. The live update here. <laughs>
1: I do live update. Play more like this whilst playing Nora Jones. Sorry, Joshua genius is not available.
0: Oh, well that's yeah. definitely an Apple music feature then. Yeah. Oh yeah. man. Too bad. In the show notes. <sighs> Okay. Well, now we know everybody go subscribe to Apple music. Like I do just in spite (laughs) of it all. Yeah. But that's, that's my point is that I'm just not tickled pink with this idea of, well, okay. Before we get a bunch of listener mail saying, Joe, why don't you just like ditch iTunes and Apple music and go over here to greener pastures at Spotify? First of all, yes, it is greener because their icon is green. But besides that, (laughs) I don't actually want to do that because I still want to have my, my original music library alongside of anything that I stream. I don't want one more app icon on my home screen. I want one app for music. And the idea of having one go-to app where I could manage everything is incredibly appealing to me. I don't want to have to replicate the playlist that I create in Spotify, also in iTunes and vice versa. Does that make sense? It does. And I was going to say with
2: Spotify, I used it for a long time. I had a lot invested into it, tons and tons of playlists. Uh, and I think it still has better discovery tools than Apple music does, but it limits you to 10,000 songs in your air quotes library. And my personal library is already twice the size of that. So It just doesn't work. And I mentioned to you guys before the show that when you hit that 10,000 song limit, Spotify pops up this really snide message that says something like, hey, dude, cool library, but you're at your limit. And as soon as that (laughs) popped up, I was like, I'm done. I'm going to Apple Music (laughs) and just sticking with it.
1: Well, at least it recognized it was a cool library. That's that's, got to be satisfying. It
2: it seemed like it was being sarcastic, though,
0: (laughs) and it was smarmy when it said it. (laughs) That is so backhanded. (laughs) The, the, and there's also really no explanation for it from the standpoint of the user. I mean, uh, 10,000 is such an arbitrary number. Uh, the Cody Coates was pointing this out a couple of weeks ago in terms of some of the design choices of various companies like social networks, for instance, right? Why does a tweet have to be 140 characters or why does it have to be uh, up to, what is it? 10,000 characters, you know, it is, it's a very arbitrary number, either one you choose Same thing with 10,000 tracks of music. Like, why is that legal? Why is that okay? (laughs) I don't know. I don't get it. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for joining us this episode. There's so much annoyance with music, but thankfully the music itself is not the problem. It's just the (laughs) tools we use to get to it. And we don't have to deal with scratched CDs anymore. And my dad's stories, when he was a kid, he would take, uh, when he was a little kid, mind you, he didn't know any better. He was out in the backyard and he took all of his dad's records and he was throwing them like Frisbees right (laughs) at the tree so that they would shatter because this was amazing to him as a five-year-old daddy, look at this. And he was smashing his dad's records and his dad f- totally flipped. Anyway. Um, I never met my grandfather. So <laughs> on that note, thank you so much for joining us, Brian. <laughs> yeah. Thank you guys for having me back on. Um, and, uh, thank you, Joshua, for your insights. Um, I want to know what happens to your kids and what they, what they do with their music <laughs> libraries. Yeah. It's definitely not a, a cool library, but, uh yeah. <laughs> So this is going to complete episode 30, sorry, no, 43 of Tectonic. If you would like to see more of anything that we've mentioned on this episode, you'll find them in the show notes and with links at tectonic.fm slash 43. It's also available in your podcast player. Follow the show on Twitter at tectonic.fm. Sorry, actually, Tectonic uh, on Twitter is just at tectonic.fm, not the website. If you want to keep tabs on new releases and special announcements, you'll find them there. And if you want to send us something lengthy in an email, send those to hello at tectonic.fm. And uh, you can always find me on Twitter. I'm underscore Joe Darnell. My co-host is at Joshua Pfeiffer. And Brian M. Brush is at Brian M. Brush on Twitter. Lastly, I want to say a huge thanks to our listeners who have checked us out on iTunes, given us star ratings and reviews. We appreciate it so much. If you want to give us a rating, that would be great. You'd just be my favorite listener of the next hour. We'll uh, check this out if you have any thoughts, questions, and feedback for us. It may be brought up on a future episode. As always, I'm Joe Darnell. Thanks for listening to Tectonic. All right. All right. Edgy. So, question for you, Joshua, before we run. Yep. Yeah. So the qu- the question is, how did y'all manage moving VHS tapes to the computer? Uh, my in laws, either my in
1: laws or my in laws' sister, like my my, my mother in law's sister, uh, bought a VHS to DVD uh, unit, and they are like super not not tech savvy, so it sat around for like five years. And they gave it to us to 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 figure out like five years ago, and so it's it's a fairly old device. And
0: um, <laughs> so it's like ten years old. <laughs> it, it, I don't know. If
1: it, it's pretty old, but I, I eventually figured it out. And yeah, just uh, basically, I had a you know a hundred DVDs that burnable DVDs that I didn't really need. Like, what are you going to burn DVDs on nowadays? So yeah, it was. It basically took. I would put one VHS in, burn the whole thing to a DVD, and then take the DVD and, and handbrake it into into the computer and then throw it in Dropbox. So we, did, we didn't have a whole lot of VHS's to do. It took time, but I mean, you, you set it and then leave the room kind of thing, so.
0: That is the solution I've heard from other people. My dad, with a similar case, he's not using VHS tapes, he's using other kinds of mini-DVs. And yeah, he has to shift those to uh, DVD-ROMs or DVD, uh, I guess I guess full-fledged playable DVDs, not DVD-ROMs. What am I saying? And then he's able to import them into the computer if he wants to. But usually by the time he's gotten them to DVDs, it was so tedious that he just leaves it there. And, and I was going to ask you, uh, Brian, uh, what is the workflow for getting records to digital copies?
2: Um, so you'll want to look for, and there are some cheap options. Mine was a little pricey, but there are record players that have a USB port in the back and then they'll actually be able to plug into your computer. And then you can use that as your input, just like you would with like your microphone and record into Logic or any sort of like GarageBand, any sort of recording application on your computer. And then just save those sort of song by song. You would clip them up and then save them those as individual MP3s or MP4s or whatever it may be.
0: Okay. Well, it just sounds like it's all about the same, uh, all the different methodologies. Mm -hmm. So there we've got it. Our uh, listener who is checking with us. There you go, Justin. Now you know what to do for everything. Cassettes, mini DVs, VHSs, records. Now you know.
1: So I didn't know this was
0: actually going to be on the show, so I I stopped recording.
2: Yeah, I had to.
0: I I have my copy too. It's okay. Okay. Thank you a lot, guys. Good show. Good show.